I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. If you ever need a friend, call on me, I'll be there. You don't ever have to pretend. But hold it all in. You try to hold your head up high. Try to find the will to fight. Need someone to save your life I'll be there to bring you to the light So take my hand When you're feeling scared Don't let anybody tell you That you're gonna have to do this I'll be right there, love Don't let anybody tell you That you're gonna have to do this alone That is the music of Carrie Kimmel, who is my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Carrie Kimmel. Worldly fame, Dante once wrote, is but a breath of wind that blows now this way and now that and change his name as it changes direction. Hard to argue with that. But what if you were famous without being famous? Would that mean you could control that wind? Well, if we're talking about singer-songwriter Carrie Kimmel, the answer to that is a resounding yes. Correction. The answer to that is a resounding hell yes. Let me explain. Okay, fame is fickle, and fame can be capricious. But Carrie Kimmel has cracked the code, and she has figured out a way to not fall victim to its changeability. How? Well, by being, as someone once remarked to her, famously non-famous. Because what Carrie Kimmel has figured out is something that very few have. How to be everywhere without anyone realizing that you are. I'll get to that in a minute, but let's back up for a second. Carrie Kimmel was born in Boca Raton, Florida, and she's one of many singer-songwriters who went west with her talent in an attempt to break through in the music industry and find her audience. Her coast-to-coast sojourn found her in, you guessed it, Los Angeles, where she set up shop and poised herself to take a shot at the wacky, kooky, and, shall we say, brutal music business. Now, Tolstoy said there's only two stories, a man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town. Carrie Kimmel's story is in the stranger comes to town variety, only this stranger came to town armed with an acoustic guitar and a satchel of great songs. A really terrific image to accompany this is in the Welcome to the Jungle video where Axl Rose gets off the bus from Indiana, looks around and thinks, oh boy, Here we go. And that's kind of the thing about being an artist in L.A. Either you're all the way in or, well, you're out. Now, Carrie Kimmel was all in. She was very enthusiastic about her new life in L.A., and she was excited about the opportunities that would hopefully be coming her way. But here's where Carrie Kimmel is different than most singer-songwriters who find themselves in Los Angeles for the first time. Even though she was only 20, Carrie Kimmel had a healthy sense of skepticism, and 
she was one of those rare individuals who had no problem advocating for herself and speaking up. In other words, if she thought something didn't seem right, she figured it was probably because it wasn't right. And this would change her career. Most artists are just happy to be on a label or signed as a songwriter or given a chance to do something somewhere for someone. Not Carrie Kimmel. She was grateful, yes, but she was smart. And she was smart because she wouldn't settle for the things that many artists would find settling. I'll let her tell you all about that. So what has all this personal advocacy gotten Carrie Kimmel? Well, quite a bit. Her CV has more highlights than a Steph Curry career retrospective. Her songs and her voice have been featured in almost a thousand popular television shows and films. Let me throw some names at you. Blockers, World War Z, The Office, New Girl, Pretty Little Liars, Pitch Perfect, and The Walking Dead are just some of the places where her music has appeared. She's also had her songs covered by Demi Lovato, The Backstreet Boys, and Gloria Gaynor. She sang backup for Florence and the Machine and Ringo Starr, and she played a benefit for Prince Edward of Wales. The point is, Carrie Kimball has done everything, and you didn't even know that it was her who was doing all that everything. And that is the magic of her career. She knows who she is, she's in charge of what she does, and she will not settle for anything. Her brand new album is out. It's called Gold and Glitter, and it is glorious, and she is super cool, and I love talking to her. So here's my chat with Carrie Kimmel. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. through and I'll hear three or four of my songs on different shows or promos or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, but of course nobody would know it's me, you know? Right. <laughs> kind of like it that way. That's fine with me. <laughs> now I know that probably wasn't the original plan. So tell me what was the original plan and how did it turn into what it's turned into? Well, um, so the original plan was to be, you know, a touring artist, I guess, you know, I would in my, my, <laughs> I don't know how to turn on individual sounds or turn off individual sounds on my computer. So you might hear some dings and beeps and stuff. Um, no, you know what that is? This, those are the sounds of your, your bank account getting money put into it every time someone plays your song. I hope so. That would be awesome. Uh, so, well, I was originally signed to Atlantic Records and so I, as an artist. And so I started out as, you know, just wanting to be an artist and write and sing and perform um and that label deal uh didn't go exactly the way that you would have you know or I would have thought um I I was signed for about a year and a half and after a year and a half I just kept recording more and more demos and um I felt like it wasn't really going anywhere and while the experience was amazing I wanted to put out an album and I wanted things to move forward in one way or another I think like one of the worst things especially for me is to be in an in-between place you know I kind of want to be in one place and just know where I'm going instead of just waiting 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 and so um you know, that was just really frustrating. And I had called my attorney and I said, I really 
want either my album to be released or just to be dropped. I want to get out. And so he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah. So he called the head of the label and said, can you give uh, Carrie a release date? And they said, no, we can't yet. And so he said, well, then we're, we're pulling, you know, we're pulling her. So um, I was able to get out of my contract and, um, and then about, I don't know how much later, maybe maybe a year later, maybe six months later. I don't really remember. Not too far, not too long after that, I signed a publishing deal with Chrysalis. And then really soon after that, like months, I signed another record deal with Virgin. And at this point, the producer was also the president of the label. So he was also producing my album, which was like a catch 22. It was great, but it was also like, well, who do I talk to if things aren't going well? <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so we were recording my album and then he wound up getting fired and everything he worked on, including me, um, was dropped. And I was basically like the last thing to be dropped. And, um, at that point <clears throat> it was really discouraging just because, you know, I'd worked really hard to not only get one record deal, but get two. And then to finally be at a place where I could release an album. And, um, once I was dropped, I kind of wanted to quit music for a minute. And I, uh, I kind of took a few months off and then realized this was not anything that I could give up. It was, it was my entire life was I had to do music. And so I decided at that point I was going to own everything I did, whether, you know, that be the writing, the publishing, the master, I just was going to be in control of everything I did, my own destiny, good or bad. If I failed, fine. But if I didn't, then, you know, I was at least going to be in charge of whether I kind of made it or didn't. And, um, that's what happened. <laughs> but you demonstrated a kind of artistic advocacy. Well, I guess you would say an artistic advocacy that doesn't really get seen a lot in younger artists. Like in other words, the fact that you were able to say to your lawyer, get me out of this, or the fact that you were able to say, you know, I can't do this anymore. This needs to happen. You took control uh, in a way that that most people are kind of afraid to, and so where where did that where did that come from? Because that's really impressive, and that probably saved you. I think it's the exact same thing that comes through in my music. It's the fact that I can't. Uh, it's something inside of me can't just be okay and complacent and just you know accepting of something I know is completely wrong like if it feels wrong then I can't rest and be at peace until I fix it and so and I'm like that with songs as well if a mix isn't right if there's a lyric that's not right if there's something that's not right then I literally like it upsets my entire like being <laughs> like I get really irritated <laughs> and I can't like breathe and like be at peace until I fix it <laughs> is your is your house super clean yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I knew. I could tell. I know. I'm just saying because I, I would imagine because I know a lot of people who are artists, writers, musicians, and they can't even produce art until things are r around the house the way they want them, right? Clean, set, right? My mom is like, my mom lives in Florida. Whenever she comes to visit, she's like, oh my gosh, you're always swiffering. <laughs> the floors like have to be clean. It drives me crazy. <laughs> See, my, my parents would come over and say, oh my God, you're always not swiffering. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Something clicked at some point, like when I moved out maybe, because my mom says I was a total pig growing up. So I don't know. <laughs> you're so funny. Okay, so... What I want to know is a lot of times in these the industries that you and I are in, I'm a writer, and mm -hmm. you could get a book deal, and they could say to you, "Okay, great, we're gonna you know we're gonna publish your book. It'll come out in three and a half years." Mm 
And, you know, here you are with Atlantic, and God knows if you had stayed, when your record would have come out, or even at all. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I I didn't know what I wanted to be artist-wise. You know, I, I loved writing, I loved singing, but I hadn't really found my identity yet. And so what was happening, and they didn't know who I was either. I mean, if I couldn't tell them who I was, how would they know, you know? And so... They were getting me with all these different producers and writing with so many different people. So like one week I'd be in Alabama writing with, um, you know, like a pop R&B guy. And then, which now that I said that out loud sounds kind of strange because you'd think Alabama wouldn't have pop R&B. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> the pop R&B guy was in Alabama. Okay. He's the only one. He's the only one there. Only one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh. And then, like, a week later, they'd have me in New York working with, like, the guy that worked with the Rolling Stones. And, like, literally, like, it was every every week or two I was with someone who was just completely different genre-wise than the guy before. And while it was exciting and it was really cool, I just kind of felt like nothing – it didn't feel right. I felt like something needed to change, and, um, and I had to change it. And so I kind of – because I really honestly felt like I would be in that development stage for the next five, six, seven years. And, um, and there are stories like that, you know. So uh, I wanted to be able to, um, to just, you know, feel like I was doing the right thing and uh, more like take control of what I was doing. I want to fill in the blanks for a second because you were on Atlantic and then you got out of that and your, your lawyer got you out. And then you signed to Virgin and you also had a publishing deal with Chrysalis, you mentioned. Um, when most people get out of their contracts with Atlantic Records and they're a young artist who's not established yet, they go back to working at Chili's. How, how were you able to – you know, because a lot of the people who listen to the program are people who are aspiring musicians, writers, artists. How were you able to position yourself so suddenly you had a publishing deal with Chrysalis, suddenly you signed to Virgin? How did that happen? Well, I was definitely fortunate in a lot of ways. And in some ways, it was just being really smart. Um, I never have been like a big spender. I've always, my mom says I live like a church mouse. Like I, <laughs> even to day, don't spend money on myself. You know, like I just, I've always been really careful. And, um, you know, when I first got the studio, it, I didn't have a very big uh, signing bonus at all. It was pretty small, but it was enough to kind of like take care of myself and to be on my own and not have to like have my mom support me. So um, I took that and then, um, and just kind of made it go as long as I could. And then, um, and then I moved out to LA basically like right after I got out of my, uh, Atlantic deal. And when I moved to LA, I had nothing. I had a, I drove out with my mom. I had a car with like a suitcase, a laptop, a keyboard. And I think that was it. <laughs> um, and my friend, I was lucky that my friend lived out here and she let me like put some stuff in her closet. She cleared out a drawer for me and she let me sleep on the other half of her waterbed. <laughs> and uh, so I basically just like, I remember the first time I, I got out to LA, it was like maybe the first or second day I was living there. And in LA, you can't park anywhere like without getting towed basically. And so I parked on a street there was like, what, you know, there's like 16 signs you have to read. Apparently one of them like said that I couldn't park there that next morning. And so I got my car towed and I did not have the money to get my car out of being towed <laughs> or wherever it goes to. And uh, that was my first kind of freak out moment. And um, thankfully, 
really soon after that, I was offered the deal with Chrysalis. And while, you know, now looking back, it's like, oh, that really wasn't that great of a deal. For me, it was like the best thing ever because I could now get my own apartment and I could, you know, not go into debt and fund my music and all of that. And then, you know, luckily a few months after that, I got a pretty decent, uh, <laughs> a great, or a pretty decent record deal, which I then bought a house. And so I've been able to, and I've just saved along the way and I've tried to make the best choices, but it definitely, I mean, there was a lot of like luck and fortune and that kind of thing as well. Like I was, you know, everything just seemed to work out really well, you know, um, and not all of it was within my control. But you had the confidence to keep knocking on doors, right? You you knew how to keep getting your stuff out there. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've always been extremely proactive. And, um, you know, my, my biggest fear has always been, I don't want to like irritate and annoy people, you know, but I want them to hear the music and I want to, I also don't want to miss opportunities. So it's always finding that balance of being in people's faces, but also not like wanting them to, you know, like slam the door on you. <laughs> right. And so you were writing all this time. You never stopped writing. You kept, you kept writing songs. Yes. Oh yes. Always. So would you characterize yourself as a prolific, a prolific writer? Do you, do you find that you're constantly in the process of writing? Yes and no. I, you know, I'm, I'm the type of writer where I get, I have like, I don't know if I have major ADD or what, but I get distracted very easily. I, um, I write when I'm feeling like I want to write, you know, and, and I do now I'm hired for a lot of things that are specifically written for a show or a trailer or a film or what, what have you. And so, you know, in, in those instances, I have to, you know, I have to be creative, whether or not I feel like it, you know, I, I try to just write when I'm feeling inspired. And if the song isn't really just flowing and happening within like 15, 20 minutes, I'm done. And I walk away and I go do something else. <laughs> do you feel like maybe the way that your career turned out, that in many ways, it was the best road? Because had you had you become known as, you know, a solo artist in the, you know, had you broken big, what do you think that it, there would have been the um, do you think you would have lasted the way you've lasted? In other words, is that a career that's built to last? Because I look at a lot of people who splash through and a lot of them don't make it. In other words, after they make it, they don't make it. And I wonder if what you've yeah. done is you've very wisely um, built a career that's 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 actually made to last. You know. It obviously wasn't my first choice to go about my career this way. I did it out of necessity and out of other things not necessarily panning out. But now, looking back, I am so glad that my my career went in this direction. You know, knowing just the type of person I am, I'm a very private person. I don't really – touring was never anything I was super excited about. Um, you know, while I love singing and I love performing – I also really love having like my own personal life. I have two kids. I have a husband. I live like right outside of LA and it's like the perfect life for me. And so, and I still get to create and do everything, you know, music wise that I want to do and um, reinvent myself. And I don't have anybody saying like, you have to stay within one specific genre. And yeah, there's also that thing, of course, is some artists, most artists, you know, they have a couple hits, maybe one hit record, 
and then and then you know you don't hear about you don't hear from them and then of course there are the artists that have had like amazing longevity and and have really you know done well um but I don't know that I'm cut out for that type of pressure. <laughs> well, also some of those artists that we're talking about, I love how we're not mentioning any names, but a lot of those people who they were successful, but there was an emotional toll that it took on them and probably still is taking on them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, definitely. I mean, I, I really just, that's not the life that I want. And I think when I was, you know, in high school or middle school thinking like, what do I want to be when I grow up? I was thinking like, Oh yeah, you know, that would be amazing to, you know, be this famous artist, but the reality of it and, and kind of now where I am with my life. And I'm so glad that this is the perfect life for me. It really is. And I'm very thankful for it. Well, you know, what's interesting about, about what's happened to you is that for a younger artist, no one sits down and talks to them and says, well, you know, here's a route you could take. You know, which is, for example, the right the route that you've taken and the route, the route that you've had. No one actually explains that because there is no like university where you know these artists who are coming through. Because your story worked out really well, but I'm sure there were a lot of people who were signed to Atlantic who stayed in purgatory, right? Who weren't able to ever get anything. Ha- you know, well, I guess I should say nothing ever happened. They never got released, or maybe they languished. And their album never came out, and they really did go back to Chili's. Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I know many of those people personally. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's tough, and a lot of them are, like, in real estate or insurance now. And, um, you know, it's it's a hard business. It's really tough. It's hard to make it. It's hard to find your place in the business. And I think, you know, if you can just keep – going and really doing what you feel in your heart is right, then, you know, you'll be on the best path for you possible. I mean, I just, I've never been able to stay in a place where I'm unhappy for very long. (laughs) Well, you know, like Joe Strummer said on the road to rock and roll, there's a lot of wreckage in the ravine. And I think you were, you were very wise in the sense that you seemed very aware that there was a ravine (laughs) and that there was wreckage in there and you didn't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I was afraid and, you know, of what could happen if I let go. I remember when I uh, when I was dropped from from Virgin and one part of me was so relieved because in all honesty, the way my album was coming out, I wasn't very happy with the way that it was coming out. And I thought, okay, well, maybe it'll get better when we mix it and all of that. But I really wasn't um, happy with with the process. I think the, the guy that was producing it just wasn't available a lot cause he was running a record label. So he was there for part of it, but then he'd have to go and, you know, and things just didn't fall into place like I had hoped. Um, but when I was dropped, ultimately there was a part of me that felt relieved and there was another part of me that was really, really bummed. And, you know, yeah. went through this like depression period cause I didn't know who was going to believe in me anymore. You know, my manager who I adore still to this day, he doesn't manage me obviously anymore, but we're good friends. And, um, he was like, well, I love you, but I have nothing left to manage. So there was no point in, in me working with him. My, my publishing deal was based on album releases and now I wasn't going to have an album release. So I kind of felt like, you know, all these, all this like support system now is going away and it was all down to just me. Had a dream you were there with me I was screaming so loud it was hard to hear It was heaven on earth, it was everything Wasn't what you want, wasn't what you want 
Now you have a new album, and when you are when you're recording, how do you make the album sound the way you want it to? In other words, how do you not get yourself into a situation like you did, uh, where it was like, "Oh, I'm recording, and this is not really what I'm wanting this thing to sound like." I know you're in total control of it, but what is the actual artistic thing that's happening that's able to capture what you want to capture? Well. You know, every album that I've done has a completely different voice, you know, very, uh, the genres are really different. I mean, the biggest thing that, that ties them all together is my writing and my, my voice, but, um, you know, the production is very different in each album. And I don't, I think when I was signed to Atlantic, I was signed to Virgin, I had so many other people I had to please. So I was constantly, while I was writing, while I was singing, while I was doing anything in the creative process, I was thinking in the back of my mind, is so-and-so going to like this? Is this guy going to like this? Are they going to approve? You know, and now I have none of that. Absolutely none of that. All that matters to me is that I like it. (laughs) Right. And so as long as it, it feels right to me, um, you know, that, you know, and, and I have the right, uh, I'm working with the right producer. So I, I have like on this last album, uh, this guy, Dave Thomas Jr. He, uh, he, 
co-produced a lot of the a lot of the album and he is just amazing and I felt like he was the right voice for it there were a couple other tracks that were produced by a, a few other people as well um but I think seven of the ten songs were produced by him and um you know I think that that really helped like you know lend a voice to the album and keep it very cohesive and have like a real a real sound now it's really interesting to me that you you recognize that you're not the kind of person who wanted to be road tested. You didn't want to, you know, get in a bus and travel across the United States, um, right. you know, city to city. Like you realize you weren't cut out for that. And a lot of times I think some artists get into that bus, go from city to city and with each mile get more and more depressed thinking I'm not I'm not up for this. Um, yeah. But once when you how at what point did you realize that? Did you know that? Always? I moved around a lot when I was younger, and it was, and so maybe this has a little bit to do with it, but, you know, um, I always wanted to, like, stay in one place, and I think it's because I moved so much up until I basically, like, moved out. Um, I, I just wanted to have, like, that that one kind of place where I could just stay there and not have to keep moving around, and touring is kind of like you're moving from one place to another to another to another, even though you're not, like, taking your entire, like you know, life with you. Um, I just, I like the feeling of being like in one place, being settled, being, you know, having your life around you. And it just was never anything that was very appealing to me. On the other hand, my husband was in a band when he uh, was in high school and college and he lived in the exact same house as he grew up in. I think his parents bought their house when he was like nine months old and they still live there. So he lived in the same place and he always wanted to tour and he did tour for a while and he like lived for touring. And so he and I are like, we talk about it sometimes and we're so opposite on that. Like I, no part of me wanted to do a tour and, and he was all about it and would still do it if he could. <laughs> what was the name of your husband's band? Do we do, can we say? Sure. He was in a band called Angela Drake. It wasn't a very big band, so you hmm. might not know it, but they're pretty, they were, they were pretty good back in the day. <laughs> and they, and where were they from? Uh, they were from basically L.A., but Palos Verdes, um, which is where we live now. We kind of we came back to where he grew up. That's so funny. <laughs> just trying to escape his whole life, and now he's back. <laughs> yeah, and you have like it's funny because even early on in your career, you were experiencing a kind of like travel from company to company to company, and you and that that probably is also a metaphor for something that you didn't want. You wanted stability. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this. How does one get their music to people like the Backstreet Boys and, and the artists that have covered your songs? How did that happen and how does that keep happening? Well, that is um, – so that's probably the smallest part of what I do. I mean most of what I do is licensing my own music. So as far as the other artists are involved, every situation has happened like so uh, so differently. Um a lot of times I'll be writing a song for myself and either I'll be writing it with the producer who's producing that artist's album, or I'll just be writing a song and somehow their manager or publisher or whatever will hear it and then they'll record it. Um, I can't say that I've really set out to record artists or record songs for other artists before. It's always pretty much been, I was writing a song for me and it just happened to work for, you know, another artist. Now, in terms of when this album came together, how did you know? Was it a very specific song cycle? Or did you go, oh, I got a couple songs laying around? Or were these songs that were all written around the same time period? Yes, definitely more. 
more the latter. I, uh, I typically, because, because of the way that I kind of operate as far as, um, I do a lot of music for film and TV and that kind of thing. Sometimes I'll write a song and I'll really love the song and I'll think, Oh, I think I'm going to do an album around this song, you know? Um, and that's sort of what happened with this one. Um, you know, like every album's different, but with this one, the first song, I think the first song that I wrote was Golden Glitter, which is the title track. And, um, you know, I really loved that song. And I, I thought this would be fun to do like an entire album kind of like in this genre. And then it just really, it happened very naturally. Um, the one song on the album that's very different from the others, and this I went back and forth on, on whether or not to even put it on the album, is Voices. It's very different. I wrote that song intending for it to just be a single, um, but I just love that song so much. It's probably my favorite song that I thought, you know, after, you know, asking like a hundred different people what they thought, <laughs> I really was on the fence about what to do with this. Um, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to put it on. I'm, it, who cares? So it's not in exactly like the rest of the album. It's such a it's a song I can, I really love. I really can stand behind and you know, I felt like putting it out. So I put it last. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's my favorite song on the album I and mean, I hate to pick favorites, but it's my favorite for sure. Awesome. That's cool to hear. Yeah. It's awesome. a great song. I also love the opener. Oh, uh, forgetting which one. Oh, hi. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think so. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, one of my favorite songs also, we are releasing a music video for soon. Um, probably in about three or four weeks. Um, and it's for the song Never Alone and the, oh. the, um, the music video is pretty intense. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, cause the song is about depression and I feel like the video really captures it very well. It's very emotional, but, um, uh, so I'm excited to release that one. Um, what made you write about something? Cause in talking to you, you're very effusive, you're very upbeat and you sound like somebody who cannot be brought down because the industry could have had its way with you in terms of like, you know, producing a record you didn't want to produce, making you languish in a way you didn't want to languish. And it could have really wrecked you. Um, yeah. But you triumphed. And I and I think, uh, you know, you, you sound very upbeat. So a song about depression, is that something that you, what attracted you to that, to that subject matter? Well, um, so... I think all of my songs have a have a touch of personal experience, if not completely personal experience. And then some are a little bit more um, maybe I've, you know, just the, had a friend that went through that. That one specifically um, was a combination. You know, while I am definitely uh, pretty even keel, you know, like I'm not I, I feel very deeply, but I try to keep everything pretty much like, you know, not like. I try not to be like a roller coaster crazy person, um, <laughs> but but I do feel like very I do feel very deeply both ways. Very you know the happy and sad, and I have a friend who tried to kill herself a few times, and it's just been very it, it's been awful. And I think that just what she's been going through, and just kind of my own experience, um, I don't know that I would say that I've uh, dealt with severe depression, but I've definitely you know I've felt depressed, of course, as I'm sure most people have. And I think I drew from that, but also really just seeing what she was going through. Um, she's actually the first person I sent the music video to, and, and it, it really, really uh, affected her. So, um, you know, I just, I wanted her to see it and to, and, and if it can help somebody in some way, then, you know, I feel like that's all worth it. 
Now, when you put a record out, you can do what you want, but I wonder if I mean the plan is not to tour it. I mean, you have a family, you have you're busy. Um, so, what is the plan when you put a record out like this? And it's a beautiful album. Um, what what do you do to support it? Um, you know, that, that's a good question. I uh, I feel like probably what I'm not as uh, as good at is promotion of my own music. I mean, the music. Songs that are on film and TV, they do promote it in a way. I mean, my most popular songs, the, the songs that people know the most, uh, are um, they were either in a movie, like really featured in a movie, or they um, were a theme song or, you know, something like that. And so for something like this, and when I, I never know if there's going to be a song that's placed in a film or show. I mean, it just so happened that my song Golden Glitter wound up being in the movie Blockers. I had no idea that was going to happen until like a month or two before the movie came out. And that song was written like almost a year ago. So I would have never known that. It's all kind of a crapshoot as far as what's going to get released when. But the plan, I suppose, other than trying to get as many, you know, sinks as possible, would be um, (laughs) trying to uh, get these music videos out and just get it in in front of as many people as possible, uh, whether that be like through social media or, um, you know, just, I'm not, somehow I've been added to some radio stations and I don't have any sort of like radio promotion going on whatsoever. So that's been interesting. Um, but, you know, my goal is to have as many people hear the music as possible and, you know, without touring. <laughs> right. Without, <laughs> without, tu- right. Exactly. Well, I know that, you know, Andy Partridge of XTC, you know, midway through their career or early in the career, he kind of went, I can't, I can't play live anymore. It's too harrowing. It's too emotionally draining for me. And they stopped, they became a studio band and, you know, there is a lot of freedom in, in doing that. It's, it's a, um, it's a realization that once you have it, you go, okay, well then I'm just going to basically nurture myself from this angle and not from the convention. Not, I don't want to say the conventional one, but not the one I thought. Exactly. And I think now also it's a lot easier to do that with social media yes. you know, and the different outlets. It, it is a lot easier to not tour and to still have people hear your music. You know, I interviewed Ben Vaughn, who does theme music for TV shows. I interviewed uh, David Klotz, who's a music editor of like Stranger Things and Game of Thrones. And these guys are busy, and a lot. Both of them seem to be working in you know feverishly, steadily, which is not easy in in this industry. Ben Vaughn even told me that he had to actually step away because it was he couldn't stop the work from coming his way. Do you find that you can control that that funnel? Because I imagine a lot of stuff comes your way. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to control it all. And to be honest, like, I think what's the hardest is, um, making sure I still leave time to create because I wind up getting kind of bogged down with so many, um, you know, so many like admin things, you know, whether it be just like, because I'm trying to do everything, um, it, it over, it just takes over my life a lot of the time. And I realize like, Oh, I haven't actually written a song in a month or, you know, um, I realized not too long ago that I hadn't written a song just for me in probably like six to nine months. Um, because I was getting hired for so many other projects. Like I just did a promo for, uh, for Freeform ABC family, you know, and I, just did a couple theme songs for DreamWorks. And then I took on, I'm taking on a DreamWorks show where I'm going to be doing all the music in the show. And so while I'm creating, I haven't really left time to create what I just 
feel like creating, which is really what I wind up licensing the most, um, is really just songs that I wrote because I was, you know, feeling a certain way a certain day. And then it wound up working for a show or a film. I thought you were going to say, I was working so much. I realized I forgot to feed my kids. (laughs) (laughs) My husband does that. Thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep those kids. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I got to tell you, I love this record. It's so beautiful. And I, I was wondering, I wanted to ask you if you had to say, this is putting you on the spot, so you know, to do, but your five, your five most perfect albums that, if, that, that you would aspire to, you know, sit next to, you have your work sit next to what, who are your five favorite albums? What are your five favorite albums? Oh, five is going to be tough. Um, I could give you one or two. I'll take, okay. I'll take two. I'll take two. I put you on the spot. I'll, we'll split the difference. I'll take two. Okay. okay. Um, well, my absolute favorite album of all time is Carol King Tapestry. I mean, I've listened to that so many times. I can't even like, I know every single word, I, you know, everything about it. Um, and I think she's incredible. She, she is such an, an amazing writer. Um, and I love her voice and how she interprets her own songs. I mean, obviously she's a writer who's written for so many other artists, but I mean, she's just such an incredible artist, uh, you know, and that album, I felt like that album was just perfect. I really, you know, really, Love that one. Um, so that's probably my number one. Uh, and then probably number two, because I'm such a pop girl, um, would be Michael Jackson's Thriller. I mean, that's another album I've listened to a million times. I mean, I can't imagine a better album, except for maybe one of the Beatles. But <laughs> right. um, yeah, I mean, those are probably like my top two. I have the, you know, I don't even have a record player, but I have like the records. I have the CDs of all, I have like, you know, everything you can imagine of both of those albums. Both great choices. Um, <laughs> you threw me off with the, with the Michael Jackson. I was expecting, I thought you were going to say maybe Patty Griffin or maybe, so you, you, uh, you threw me a, a curveball, but I totally get it. Yeah, I love pop music. I mean, I love it. Anything from like Madonna to Cyndi Lauper to Elton John to Michael Jackson to, I mean, I love pop music, you know, and, uh, and I love all different types of music, but, you know, especially super pop, like great hook. I'm like, oh, it's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, making music is your thing. This is a great album and you're phenomenal. And it was so fun to talk to you. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Great to talk Great to talk to you as well. Thanks, Carrie. Good luck with everything. Thanks. Well, there's my chat with Carrie Kimmel. She's great. And uh, there are some very valuable lessons in there for aspiring singer-songwriters or artists of any kind. I think, uh, you know, to be an advocate for yourself and uh, to not be comfortable just because you think you've, uh, you know, made it over into some kind of uh, world that you've been trying to break into and someone gave you a little something and you go, oh, that's, that's going to be good. I'll, I'll compromise everything I stand for because I'm in. Don't be fooled. You're not in. And not only are you not in, very soon you will probably be out. So be careful. Stick to your guns and uh, stick to your beliefs. And if something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't right. So uh, so get yourself out of that situation. Uh, Carrie Kimball's great. If you want to learn more about her, go to her website. It's uh, 2Ms1L. 
kerrykimmel.com. If you want to go to our website, it's uh, no M's, no L's, uh, Bombshell Radio. Oh, wait, no, there is an M and an L on that. Bombshell Radio. Dot com. Uh, go to iTunes as well. Subscribe to our radio station. And hey, if you're already there, why don't you subscribe to Stereo Embers, the podcast? It would make me insanely happy. Maybe I'm one of those people that two in the morning checks on these things because, uh, let's face it, uh, I, uh, I need constant approval. At any rate, if you uh, wouldn't mind giving us a rating on iTunes, that will help our cause. And when I say our cause, I mean, you know, Keeping uh, the electricity bill paid. Uh, All right, look, I'm Alex Green. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. I want to say thank you, as always, to you for listening to the show. If you want to drop me a line, maybe there's a uh, a guest you would like me to have on the program, do it. Let me know. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com or on Twitter at EmbersEditor. Okay? Put in your requests, and uh, I'll see what I can do. All right? Okay, let's close things off with a song from Carrie's new album, Gold and Glitter. This is a track called Never Alone. Enjoy it right here, and I'll see you next week on another episode of Stereo Embers, the podcast. If you ever need a friend, call on me, I'll be there. You don't ever have to pretend or hold it all in. Try to hold your head up high Try to find the will to fight You need someone to save your life I'll be there to bring you to the light So take my hand When you're feeling scared Don't let him you're gonna have to do this alone Look out, I'll be right there, love Don't let anybody tell you That you're gonna have to do this alone I know that you lie awake Wondering how much more to take and it all it needs the pain All you want is to escape You sure that no one else can see The doubt inside of the tears Can't hold on for one more day Nothing seems to take it all Take it all away So take my hand
when you're feeling scared don't let 